Hello, uh, and welcome back to the Cosmic Coffee Shop. Cody just said, let's rock and roll like an old dad. Shut up! I was hoping it would be called on the recording, but it wasn't. I, um, it is something I say frequently. If I, you say that, congratulations, I'm proud of you. It gives me like a little bit of endorphins, you know? Oh, yeah. Just some, just some, of dopamine, some, some dopamine like, for the yeah. brain. Just to be like, all right, kids, let's rock and roll! And you, you know, you all pile into the Come minivan, on, you kills. go to Chick-fil-A. It's a Saturday, the sun, the sun is out, all your friends are there. I'm trying and to it's apply the best this to, like, day of your life. I'm trying to apply this to a memory of mine, but I, I can't like find like a specific. It's a one. very specific I think, memory. I don't think my dad is a let's rock and roll dad. Uh, my dad's like a. I'm trying to like think of a different like dad phrase, but I like. He's let's like, paint the garage. Yeah, my dad's a let's paint the garage dad. And don't get me wrong, a great time, Eric. Yeah. If you were listening, I had a very fun time painting the garage, listening for, to for classic context, rock. For all of the, the listeners, my dad asked me to come home and paint the garage, and I said no. But you can have Dakota instead. I'll do it. Yeah. I want. I wanted to go. I, I really enjoyed. We got to like redo a, a bathroom over. Um, uh, Christmas you, break and yeah. I really enjoyed that like that it was, was it was really fun um because like my dad taught me how to build and use power tools and mm-hmm. stuff when I was a kid we built a doll a, a dog house for mm-hmm. our neighbors once oh that's awesome um, when I was younger and that's how I learned to use like the majority of power tools right um and now I work as an assistant carpenter so it's like a fun it really like you know, yeah. carrying of skills so thanks dad I like yeah I I have a lot of things like that the big one was just like working on cars for me yeah. so now I know how to like change my brakes change like various parts in the engine and okay. oil and all of that stuff so like very I, good I skills wish to I have. Stuff thanks, about cars. thanks I, for that. I'm one. like the man of my all female household. Uh huh. Um, and so like like the other day, like a stranger came to the door and knocked on the door. Um, and he was asking if we had a toilet plunger. He's one of our neighbors. Uh-huh. Um, who I'd met before, and he's very nice. But when he knocked on the door, we have like a window in the door, so you can see if it's a like an undiagnosed six foot tall man. That you're like, who is that? I don't right, know that man. Right. And so all my roommates were like, Georgia, are you expecting someone? And I come down, and they're all just standing in the kitchen. I realize that like I I have I'm at the level of like manliness that it's my job <laughs> to open the door for the stranger. <laughs> and so and so I did. It was fine. Um, but the same thing happened where someone was like. Like George, you know about cars, right? And I was like, no, I know, I know nothing about cars. <laughs> um, but I realized that like my aura is a. She probably knows something yes, about cars. Yes, one hundred percent. No, you are like between you and I. I think you're mm-hmm. the manlier human being. Good, I love that. Yeah, I love no, it's that. definitely I, true. I should learn about cars. I'd like to know. I'd like <laughs> to understand cars. I can change a tire. Um, like I have the knowledge to change a tire. Mm-hmm. I don't have the physical ability to change a tire. I got a flat tire on Blue Ridge Parkway, and I could not like physically do it because my the lug nuts were rusted out right um and so and like my boyfriend who's significantly larger than me was also struggling so like it was normal but um i would not have been able to do that alone but hey you live and you learn i live and you learn how to change my oil eventually yeah no i like i can i can definitely do the oil yeah or at least teach you how because it's it's just a bolt yeah it's just it's it's something i put zero effort into learning mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i'm sure if i put 1% 1% effort into learning it would probably be okay. I'm just Pretty not, easy, I, yeah. I have, I can't say that I can't do something because I literally haven't tried. Right, right. No, um, I think, I think you'll get it first shot. I really thank do. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Google is a very helpful resource. Indeed. Speaking of Google, uh, what did you learn, learn this week, Dakota? Uh, oh, all right. So I, I've been taking this global issues class mm. in college and it's been, it's been great. I really Here enjoy. college? Yeah. You know, at college, the place where you take class. 
I just thought mm-hmm. it was funny. It was. It yeah. was. Because I did I, I thought about that too. That was going through my I've mind simultaneously. University where I go. I was like, that's gonna sound so bland and like <laughs> I am at the college. <laughs> brand love what is like like a a non-brand name uh-huh, podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. Podcast called podcast host go to college. Well we we can't risk, you know. Yeah. Yeah, any no kind of lawsuit. Right. No, for um, sure, but for sure. For real, what is, so you want uh, this in global issues? Global issues, yeah. It, uh, this week we were talking about the U.S.'s grand strategy to like keep the peace after the Cold War and everything. Mm, since uh, we won that one, kind of. It was really just more of a stalemate. Yeah, it was just kind of like a high five and move on. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah. It was just like you know what? We we haven't really even been fighting. Uh, there's no real issue. We're not going to bomb you if you're not going to bomb yeah, us. Everyone's so. confused. Everyone goes home and someone <laughs> says they won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure Russia is also like, yeah, we won the Cold War. A game of tag where everyone gets out of breath and goes home. Yeah, <laughs> that's literally what it is. Oh, my God. But the, the whole strategy of how to, like, keep the world peace afterwards, which, by mm. the way, shouldn't just be one country's job, but the U.S. thinks it is. So mm. uh, their big strategy. Didn't they do this by, like, being mean? Yeah. Oh, they were, uh, the U.S. was mean to a lot of people in a lot of places. Just look up anything ever in our history and you'll see. Is the U.S. mean? Is the U.S. mean? Any source other than like coming straight from the U.S. If it's like an article written by anyone else other than in America and most people in America, they'll say yeah. There's even some people that are like, the U.S. was mean, but now we're good. But then like, Uh, but then most people like the U.S. is mean. Yeah, I... I don't even know where to stand with that because our main strategy is called primacy, where yeah. it's literally just, hey, we're going to have as much power as possible. Mm-hmm. We already have, like, the most powerful army, and now we're just going to make sure everyone else stays in check, essentially. Mm. And the way they do that is they have... Like out- what the UN is for, but mm-hmm. instead of... Basically, the yeah. The UN is just like, actually... Or the US is like, we'll be the new UN. We'll just we'll just do that. Good. And all of the people in the UN, like everyone in Europe and yeah. Japan, they're all just like, oh, oh, okay, sure. I mean, that's nice. That's I guess because nice. no one wants to go against the US, and so I wonder why. Right. That's our thing. Um, we're now using offshore balancing, which is mm-hmm. we're like, you know what? We don't have to keep our troops on like in other countries now. We don't have to just keep them there, keeping other people in line. We'll just move offshore, just a few miles. Mm-hmm. So that they know if they, like, step out of line, we'll bomb them. That is simply terrifying yeah. and horrible. <laughs> pretty pretty awful, yeah. for sure. Um, I don't care for that at all. No. I, I, I've read a little bit about, like, um, and I, I don't, I don't, I have not researched this recently, so I don't speak <laughs> with any authority, um, but I was reading about, like, um, after the Cold War, like, anti-expansion tactics that the U.S. used mm-hmm. to keep other um, governments that they deemed socialist from growing, Yeah. Um, which unfortunately kept a lot of countries from expanding uh, to a form that would allow their people to have more human rights. Exactly. Which is a big bummer. It's, it's kind of terrifying because we are like keeping them there for the most part because the way that the U.S. sees it is, oh, the U.S. grew really quickly. Mm-hmm. They didn't have anyone attacking them, so they just like built up an army. They built mm-hmm. up a society really fast, relatively. Like it's been, you know, a couple hundred years now. Because they, but... didn't, they didn't build a society. They transferred a society. Right, pretty much. And, and they... then built a society from a transfer mm-hmm. society. They built more of, more of like... Uh, a money machine than a society. It's kind of like, to give a religion metaphor, Mm -hmm. it's like America is to Europe what Puritanism is to Catholicism. Yeah. It's not different enough to be 
new, but it's different enough to not be the same. Right. They have new rules mm-hmm. and more specific new rules. Guidelines. New guidelines. New guidelines. Exactly. Just because there aren't spaces for dominant world powers to go in and take anymore does not mean that there aren't still colonized spaces around the world. Right. Um, and that's something that, like, um, one of our previous guests, um, uh, Matthew Maggie, yes. has talk- talked to me a lot about um, and has been posting a lot of stuff, cool stuff on his story recently on, on Instagram about, like, um, how we need to put the context of colonialism and imperialism mm-hmm. into our study of political science, especially in the U.S. Yeah. Because it's something that's left out so much that we really frequently just do this whole, like, oh, well, there's checks and balances, and we're going to talk about political science just in the U.S. Right. And we don't really address how it's impacting smaller countries. Exactly. I actually I saw that story. Mm-hmm. Dude, his story rocks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can't wait to have him back on. But um, So, Georgia... After talking about, you know, all the terrible things the U.S. has done and being a real bummer, what what did you learn this week? You want me to say the thing that I learned about America being a real bummer, right? I do. I very I, much do. I'm not going to because it's so ah! sad. I, I can, I'll mention it in my um, in our actual episode because um, it's it's just a huge bummer and I want some lightness in our intro. Fair enough, fair enough, um, fair enough. So I'll give you a fact that I learned this week. Woo-hoo! You'll never guess the topic. What's the topic I have the most facts about? Hmm. I, it's been like every other... Besides hmm. animals, like every other fun fact I have for the intro. Hmm. It's color. Is it about musical theater? No! <laughs> it's color again. I'm going to talk Woo! about color more. I love the color um, facts. I, I, did not, I did not realize how much of an interest I had in like color and color theory mm-hmm. in, until I started realizing how much I knew about it and like right. how, how excited I got when a new fact about color came out. <laughs> um, so I learned this week that... Estrogen, the hormone estrogen, uh-huh. um, gives you a higher level of color perception, Whoa. which means that women can see more hues than men. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I hadn't thought of it as ever making sense because um, I thought that the reason women saw more hues than men was societal. Uh-huh. And so this raised a question for me, which is how much does societal influence influence the way we see color? Mm-hmm. So I can see more color than my peers who have more testosterone in their body. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see more hues of color. But I understand color at a higher level because I've studied color as a painter and as someone who has an interest in color. Right. So does that mean that I see more hues of color than my peers who have a higher level of estrogen? Mm-hmm. Um, do we see the same amount of color and they just don't understand it or have an interest in it? How much does societal right. influence play into our scientific ability to see color. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, so this is something That's I'm going to cool. continue researching. Do it, yeah. I found it to be incredibly fascinating because I have always found, all, all of my um, relationships up to this point have been male partners, uh-huh. and I've always found at some point in a relationship I'll go like, and then look at these colors, they're so different, and they'll go, those are the same color, and I'll go, what? <laughs> You're ridiculous. wrong. And I've learned now that this uh, is, is tied to uh, the hormone differences between so uh, male-born cool. and female-born people. I, I definitely, I don't know what this says about me. I can see a lot of colors, and mm-hmm. I, I, like, can tell the differences between a lot of them. Yeah. Um, But there is definitely a, a hard wall where it stops for me. That's really interesting. Um, I, I saw, like, a game that I really want to buy where, uh-huh. like, you get a hint, and the hint is, like, taxi cab, and then you have to, like, match... There's a board full of colors, and you have Whoa. to match, like, the little cones to the colors. And so I'm going to buy it, because, like, I I love color. Yeah, it's, yeah. That sounds delightful for me. But also, all the videos I've seen of people playing it, it'll be girls just nailing it, and the guys being, like, 
really bad at it. And I don't Damn. know if it's because they don't understand the clues or if it's because they really can't differentiate the hues. There's probably a little bit of both yeah. in there, I would say. Like, I, I wouldn't rule out that there's some guys that are just like, oh, no, I know exactly yeah. which one's which because yeah. they, like, like color and study it a little yeah. bit. But I'm sure just, like, if you take average run-of-the-mill people that aren't studying color... Mm-hmm the women would definitely see more. Mm-hmm. I, I think like scientifically, the, the, yeah. the idea of it being scientific is interesting, especially with stereotypes, like women being more interested in clothes or makeup. Right. Um, whereas like I was reading a, um, a story from someone who was on um, hormone replacement therapy and taking estrogen. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how um, they had a, a makeup palette where they would look at it and they go like, all oh, these colors are the same. And then in the um, midst of, hormone replacement therapy, as they had more estrogen circulation, they started to be able to physically see their perception of color change Whoa. from not seeing a lot of hues to seeing a lot of hues. And I was like, and that, that was like what sparked my research into this. And I was That's like, this really is so cool. fascinating. That's really so, interesting. Uh, there's a scientific reason why some yeah. people are not as interested in color as I am. That's really awesome. Uh, yeah, I thought it was very cool. Oh, I, I'd um, love to hear more about that. So that's my not sad fact of the day. I'll Hell probably yeah. pepper in the sad fact later. That's exciting. Because it's sad. <laughs> but we'll get to that, you know, in, in the main portion of the show. It's gonna... the time where we do the little 10 seconds of music and then go into the full episode. Bum. That was good. We're back. Um, we were just having a whole philosophical discussion that we did not include on the podcast. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was interesting though. Uh, so, so there you go. You missed out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you guys. See you next week. See you next uh, week. We forgot to hit the record button. Oops. Um, goodbye. No, I'm kidding. Um, well, it just didn't fit in with the theme. Today's a special topic episode. Yes, it is. I'm um, very excited. And Coke doesn't know what it is. I have no clue. Because I I just said that I would go and research something, and then he could blind react to it to start a discussion. I'm, um, I'm here to be surprised. Yeah, so that's what uh, we're going to try, because I'm interested in it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to see how it goes. Anyway, um, it's the drum roll. Oh, God. Jesus. Yeah. Christ alive. Are you ready for the theme of the special topic? Yes, I am. What is the theme? The special topic's theme is optimism. Is it good or bad? Ooh. 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 This is exciting. As someone who is like, I I tend to consider myself optimistic, but mm-hmm. most most of the time it's for other people. Like oh. when other people come to me with issues or problems, I tend to be very optimistic, look at it from the brightest side possible, mm-hmm. and like you know try to keep it realistic. But at the same time, you gotta have that positivity. Yeah. yeah. Whereas when it comes to my own issues or problems, I'm just like, no, fuck it, the world's yeah. over. Pe- pessimism done. all the way. Pessimism. Um, so my main. Source for this uh, mini discussion is the book Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller. Um, it came out really recently. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. Um, content warning if you do read it, there's some pretty troubling depictions of eugenics, Ooh. suicide, and sexual assault in the book. Um, but it's really worth the read. I think that it's a really cool uh, yeah. way to talk about kind of how chaos is organized and such. And so I'm specifically focusing on one chapter of the book that talks about optimism. Uh-huh. Um, and what are our ideas about optimism are as a society, as uh, as psychology has right. pr- uh, progressed, um, and kind of where we're at now, and then also how we can form our own opinions in society on, on optimism. So, how is optimism good now? Uh, some ways that optimism is good now, according to a compilation <laughs> of studies through Harvard Medical, um, some immediate physical benefits of optimism. Um 
people who exhibit optimistic traits are half as likely to be rehospitalized after heart surgery, oh, wow. whereas pessimistic people are three times more likely to have a secondary heart attack that requires them to redo the surgery that they were hospitalized for in the first time. Oh my god. Um, optimism is generally good for your blood pressure. It gives you a better immune system, mm-hmm. long-term health uh, uh long-term health benefits, better circulation, and a longer life in general. Wow. There is a 42% higher... Uh, no, there's a, for, for pessimists, the death rate is 42% higher than optimists. That's... I mean, granted, yeah. all of these things really check out and make oh, sense. Yeah. But, the, like, it's really interesting mm-hmm. to know that you can sit there and... Mm-hmm. Not, like, for everything, but literally will yourself to be healthier. It's, it's interesting, yeah. So, so, like, the way that you react to uh-huh. what is happening to you... Um, can make you uh, a lot more healthy. Yeah. Um, the way that Harvard structured one of its studies was to give like a 10-point system for either optimism or pessimism. Uh-huh. And what they found in studying someone over like 20 years of their life. Whoa. Um, they started studying people when they were in their 60s. I- I'd like to note that this study was done in the 1960s, so some elements could have changed. Gotcha. But this is like our baseline. Yeah. Um, was that with every 10 points higher on the optimism scale, your life expectancy improved by 19%. Whoa. Yeah. That's huge. That's a really big difference. That's that's really interesting because it, it just brings so many questions mm-hmm. to mind. Just for me, anyway, like, I, I know that people who believe in an afterlife, mm-hmm. in a way, or like something, tend to be, you know, live longer, they're more positive, a lot of them happier. Not not all of them. Just because you believe in a religion doesn't mean that you're happier necessarily. Or they might have optimistic. less fear of death, which would exactly. be more optimistic about a health concern. But yeah. all of these studies were put together to prove that optimism benefited health. And so, of course, pessimistic people were kind of pissed off. Mm-hmm. And so, what many pessimistic people said, well. Of course you're hopeful about your health diagnosis. You haven't been ill for as long as I have. Right. They're not taking into account, well, if you've been chronically ill for 15 years, you might not have the opportunity to be optimistic about your outcome. Whereas if someone falls ill for three months, they might be optimistic because they haven't failed before. Oh, wow. Um, So different levels of where the optimism and pessimism comes from. It also doesn't take into account underlying mental health uh, impacts. Right. Oh, my Um, God. Someone who experiences clinical depression might not be able to feel optimistic in the same way that someone uh, who is neurotypical would be able to. How does that impact your life expectancy? Exactly. Which is a terrifying thought. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Also, we know for a fact that stress decreases Mm. all of our general health when, when you when you say like ah i'm having you know issues with my heart they say okay well decrease stress yeah you can decrease stress yeah. on your heart by you know eating better and not smoking and also just stress in your life in general right if you're pessimistic you're naturally going to be more stressed mm-hmm. um so that's kind of how optimism affects us uh physically but there's no definition of what optimism is in those studies interesting um, so for you how do you define optimism mm. optimism is a tough one because there's definitely been a lot of things in my life where it doesn't call for being optimistic necessarily. The way I find optimism now is realizing that things are just going to be okay. Like even when they're not, you know, even when things really suck and it's the worst, it's going to be okay eventually. Mm -hmm. And like, it helps me get through hard times. It's not exactly that I'm being completely optimistic either. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say that I'm because some people would describe optimism as being like really just gung ho about life. Mm -hmm. And like everything is great. You know, no matter what. For me, anyway, it it doesn't work as realistically. Yeah. The way for me to be optimistic is more to just accept the good with the bad. Take Mm -hmm. it as it comes and realizing that that's all part of life and that it's okay. Mm -hmm. And that 
in all of those moments that are bad, feel that. Yeah. Feel the hurt and the sad and all of that. But know that it's not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. And good times will be there. And when you're in the good times, know that bad times will come. But you can sit there and enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And be hopeful for that. Mm-hmm. And enjoy that. So I, I consider that more realistic optimism. That is, I'm so glad you said the words realistic optimism because we're going to circle back to those words Perfect. in just a little bit. Oh, that rocks. Um, so that's a great view to have around optimism. It's very mm-hmm. similar to the view that I have around optimism. I would consider that realism, like yeah. personally. Right. Because um, that is also how I view the world. You hope for the best, but you understand that the worst is always a possibility. Yeah. Um, I am going to burp at some point. Oh, it's let audience. it out. I, it's there. It's just not like there yet. Okay, okay. Nice. Oh, that was a good, like, a Thank six you. for sure. You're, that was not a six. That was not. Was I'd say it was four. a six. It's like, we, I, you know, thank you. See, your, that's like a two. That's, that's like, like a two. Yeah, yeah, that was nothing. Um, welcome to the scientific podcast and where we talk about smart things. Very smart <laughs> things. We talk about philosophy and burps. Philosophy and rating burps. Um, so... <laughs> Anyway. This is what the people want, Georgia. Yeah. This is quality yeah. entertainment. This is the authenticity <laughs> that people crave that Hollywood can never give. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, we're already, yeah, yeah. leaps and yeah. bounds above Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. We're, you know, we're... With our production value? We have 111 oh, yeah. Instagram followers. That's so right. we're above the bar. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about? <laughs> um, <laughs> optimism. Realism. 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 Optimism. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's a realistic view of optimism, but our societal understanding, our societal view of optimism as a whole, uh-huh. separated from our personal context, is glass half full optimism. Okay. Which overall yeah. means everything is good all the time, right? And there is never a situation in which a bad thing leads to a long term bad outcome. Right. All bad events are actually good events because they lead to good things. Mm. Right. Yes, and that's how it kind of goes in with the, the, I guess, realistic view that we have, where it's like, when there are bad things, the way I try to view it is like, each bad situation is helping me grow as a human being. I'm learning from it, and therefore growing because of it. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that's like, I'd say that's more glass glass half full. Mm -hmm. But, um, I don't know. What if, what if you just drink the glass? You know, what if you're in the good then time? you're a realist. <laughs> if you drink the water, you're a realist. If you drink the water and go and refill your glass, you're a realist with a growth mindset. There it is. There it is. The realist who just drinks the glass and goes, oh, my glass is empty. That's and like... Fortunately, I have centralized water system. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so glass half full optimism is uh, th- this kind of cultural context that we have kind of created over the years Uh um it's a big part of like the self-help generation right it's a big element of um the mindfulness i I almost want to call my my immediate thought was called the mindfulness epidemic (laughs) because i'm not like the mindfulness pandemic (laughs) i'm not a huge fan of of mindfulness culture as a whole Uh because of the way that it covets religious culture from eastern religious traditions without crediting them or allowing them the fullness that they deserve Mm -hmm. um and it also has a lot of shame tactics built into to it into saying like if you are unable to be mindful you are unable to deserve peace and i don't think that's I, true i don't think that's true at all i think mm-hmm. i've heard several different like people talk about mindfulness some are just mm-hmm. like you've gotta you've gotta just be mindful and if you're not well mm-hmm. but like a lot of teachers and people that i've heard talk about it are just like you're gonna mess you're not gonna yeah. be able to be mindful I'm, all the I'm time i'm pretty specifically talking about mindfulness culture under capitalism the kind that yeah, you can okay. market and sell. yes yes um the the uh you know pub 
put together in a little box affirmations uh-huh. you tell yourself in the mirror and the right. you know yoga pants that give you better self esteem. Uh-huh. That kind of mindfulness culture. Okay. Um, okay, I see what you're the, saying. The like the first therapist I ever went to told me that I should try mindfulness because I should just be able to let my thoughts float away like clouds. And I literally was like, I have clinical anxiety. Yeah, that doesn't that's not <laughs> they how don't that works. Float away, mm-hmm. my dude. They start raining. <laughs> so like it's it's not always that easy. So so the concept of mindfulness, whereas mindfulness within a lot of religious cultures is being aware of what you feel, but never mm-hmm. asking it to change. Saying I I feel in Buddhism it's a big thing about suffering. I feel pain. I feel that I am suffering. I yeah. feel that those around me yeah. are suffering. I accept it and I overcome it. I, mm-hmm. I acknowledge it and it's a part of me versus and I shove it away until yeah. the sky is blue. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> totally different. I feel like that's more like blind optimism. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, oh, blind optimism. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get into we're going to move on to that. A wee we? bit of history. <laughs> I open up my book. Here are the book pages. It's ASMR now. Okay, where is the passage that I'm looking for? I know I highlighted it. <laughs> I did. Okay, um, so in the 20th century. When psychological ex- experts looked at optimism, they called it self-delusion. It <laughs> that an accurate view, on the other hand, would be seen as a hallmark of mental health. Mm. Um, this is, I'm reading directly from uh, Fish Don't Exist. As we move down in the passage, Louis Miller talks about how this concept of delusion was, was talking about people who believed that the world was better than it was, who believed that they were better than mm-hmm. they actually were, um, and that self-esteem was kind of pushed against unless you had earned the right to be self to have self-esteem if you weren't actually rich and beautiful and smart you shouldn't pretend you are in this uh early Mm -hmm. 20th century context Mm -hmm. um so as things moved on uh people started realizing that this was not true that people who had self-delusions or optimism actually experienced better lives they bounced back quicker they had uh better luck with relationships um and miller says this uh the people on the other hand that had oh so hailed virtue of accurate perception ding 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 you guessed it they had clinical depression (laughs) they struggled in lives found it harder to recoup after setbacks and often had more trouble in work and relationships whoa Um, yeah so this is call me out (laughs) (laughs) so that is, is the concept of how having this accurate perception of the world where you saw everything in this, mm-hmm. this real way, um, what that was actually creating. And so the, the terminology got changed to positive illusions if you had yeah. optimism, and it was recommended that you have positive illusions, uh, illusions that uh, affirmations become a part of your life, that you tell yourself you're better than you are, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When does this become bad, right? Optimism, right. Everything is, is leading into this idea that optimism is always good. You're healthier if you're optimistic. You are you know, mentally strong if right. you're optimistic. You're more successful if you're optimistic. Do you, do you think that like personal optimism could lead to like narcissism? Bat nail the head. God! Oh! You are killing this, I, Yeah, I feel, like, so, I feel bad because I know you want to explain it, but I also feel good no, about it. No, 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 this is great. This is great. Go, go, go. So, what happens when a person becomes too optimistic? What uh-huh. happens when your self-esteem soars beyond the realistic level? Right. So there's nothing wrong with confidence, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's good to be yeah, confident. Yeah, of course. And tell yourself that you have worth. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a study done by Roy Baumeister, who wanted to see, he was a psychologist, and he wanted to see um, what having high self-esteem would do. And his, his belief was that 
and, and the common idea was mm-hmm. that the lower your self-esteem was, the more like you, likely you were to be aggressive and the more likely you were to be a problem in society. Yeah. So people who were murderers or who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, believed immoral things about society had low self-esteem and as a way of, of getting back against this jealousy, they were harming those around them, right? Right. That makes sense. That does make sense, Maybe. yeah. It doesn't make sense. Oh. It, we thought it did. Yeah. And we're like, this makes sense. And of course, all these people who are doing these horrible things have low self-esteem. <laughs> so he does a study where he gives everybody the ability to make a very loud, but painfully loud noise. Uh-huh. Um, and he gathers a bunch of, of students with between very low levels of self-esteem and very high levels of self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, you can hit this button whenever you want. And brings someone into the room, and they insult the person. And when he insults the person with low self-esteem, he says, you suck. And they go, you're right. And they do nothing. When he insults the person with high, esteem, high self-esteem, he says, you suck. And they go, no, you suck. And they hit the button, and they cause that person pain. Whoa. And they don't have to. They don't have to do that. They could, yeah. say, they could say, I don't think that you're right. And then not hit the button. Right, right. But they choose to be aggressive. Because they're taking that insult at a higher level personal, of, yeah. of personal a front than the person with low self-esteem because the person with low self-esteem doesn't just really matter to them what you think of them. They just they agree. They think that of themselves. They're just like, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I'd love to be in that study. Just, they're just like, yeah, fuck you. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, honestly. Okay. You're sure, man. Yeah. Whatever. Um, no, that that does make sense. Yeah. So, so the people who do not really need to protect any idea mm-hmm. that they've built about themselves, uh, they don't want to cause other people harm. They don't actually have any any sign that this is going to lead to aggression. And so this leads us to the idea of the healthy middle ground. Yeah. Where if you don't want to hurt other people, it's likely you might be hurting yourself. Right. If you definitely can't hurt yourself, it's likely you might be hurting other people. You're, yeah, if you're sitting there, if you're protecting your ego so much that you won't let anyone touch it, you're going to lash out at them. Exactly. Whereas if you're beating down your ego hard enough, you're mm-hmm. just hurting yourself. Yeah. And another really interesting study that happened... Um, was that they uh, follow these uh, psychologists followed around all these people with this really self high this um, high self esteem uh-huh. this really high outwards confidence and they found that they had a lot of trouble maintaining ma- maintaining maintaining not oh. the word I was looking no, for no but it's a good word I'm gonna use it for something <laughs> good. they had trouble maintaining interpersonal connections and relationships because uh-huh. the other people with lower self esteem eventually became resentful of the person with high self esteem because oh. they were so optimistic. And so sure that they could never fail Mm -hmm. that they began discounting and uh, kind of eroding the experiences of the other person. They were taking away from that person's humanity by not allowing them to be in a space without optimism and perfection. Right, right. Um, And so the idea of this toxic positivity became really harmful. Yeah. Um, And so they they could make a lot of friends, but they couldn't keep those friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And those friends would eventually resent them even if they stayed. Um, Yeah. How does this actually become dangerous? When is this level of optimism right. scary? When does it become narcissism? Um, which focuses on the subject of this book, which is David Starr Jordan, uh-huh. who was a taxonomist? Tax, tax, taxonomist? Taxidermist. No. <laughs> he, he named animals. I believe it's taxonomist. Taxonomist? One I, of the two. That makes sense. That sounds right. For context, um, I can read well but I cannot transfer it into verbalized speech super well. Valid. So I mispronounce things really frequently. Um, so, yeehaw. That's all good. Um, it's up there. And if I look it up, it doesn't stay in my brain. So mm. taxonomist, I think. His role was that he named animals. Uh-huh. He named fish. And he... he Hang would... on now. Wait a minute. Wasn't that Adam's role in the Bible? Uh-oh. Didn't that Adam Checkmate. name all Literals. of the animals? <laughs> 
checkmate liberals. <laughs> you're a liberal, George. I'm, I'm a leftist. Oh, you're right. You're right. Regardless, doesn't to matter. To the left, to the left, to the left, to the Okay. Beyonce would be so proud. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're falling apart. This is the most put together episode we've had in a while, and yet we're still like. We're still falling. Well, it's it's been a week. We got yeah, it. We got it. It's um so. David Starr Jordan. He names all the fish. He's a very successful scientist. Mm-hmm. He has a series of failures in his life that do not impact him at all. His wife dies, Whoa. and he's like, I'm fine. I'm strong. I'm smart. I'm optimistic. Um, his life work gets destroyed more than once in, like, an earthquake and a fire, and he goes, it's okay. It's no big deal. I just start over with my life's work. And he continuously keeps building up until he has this incredibly huge layer of self-esteem, this this uh, impenetrable wall of optimism, right? Ooh, yeah. Um, he becomes a eugenicist. Oh, no. Yes. He becomes... This is my fun fact of the day. Oh, uh, yeah. David Starr Jordan becomes one of the, like, founding members of American eugenics. Whoa. Um, because... And, and the theory of, like, why? How has this happened? He fails so infrequently that, that like he, he when he fails he bounces back so quickly that he becomes so certain that he is always right, right. That he is always correct mm-hmm. that in his ability to make this hierarchical structure within the fish within the, <laughs> the uh, non-human beings that it moves into the human into the human world into yeah. categorizing humanity and choosing who does and doesn't deserve to reproduce and live right. healthy. Right. Oh, in the world. that's so fucked up. Um, it is super fucked up. I it's a huge bummer to read about the book. I highly recommend doing some research into kind of the history of eugenics in America. Um, the timeline is a lot more upsetting than you probably oh, I'm learned. Oh, sure. In it's school. probably like fairly yeah. recent. It, uh, no, well, yes, but also eugenics started in America. It didn't right. really start in Germany. Right. Um, it got picked up in Germany, and that sucks. And oh. the, what what happened there is awful. But uh, eugenics is still. Uh, forced sterilization under the guise of eugenics is still legal under a Supreme Court ruling in the U.S. Whoa. Um, and it still happens in prisons all over America. Go- oh, um, God. Yes. What? Yes. Women women who are in prison all over America are being legally sterilized under a Supreme Court ruling um, oh. without their consent because they're deemed unfit to reproduce. Wow. Um, it's one of, like, the most atrocious human rights violations that I've read about in recent years. And it's just happening right now. Yes, it's just happening right now. All the way up until the the, the 70s, um, America was essentially, the American government was essentially kidnapping and sterilizing Native American women um, and reducing their bloodlines all over the world. Um, what the fuck? Was yeah. it not enough to take the entire goddamn country? Apparently not. Oh Apparently not. Yeah, it's, 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 and it's terrible. Like, it's, it's a, a, practice that has been heavily heavily focused on uh people of color mm-hmm. immigrants and people with disabilities um and it's a really terrible history that as upsetting as it is should be learned by all for sure um i i really encourage you to research it as much as you are mentally able to it is like a, mm-hmm. a it was a really difficult topic for me to kind of learn about this yeah. week yeah. but the, the role that this assertion that someone is always correct, mm-hmm. um, that, that optimism has right. has given this person through success, through repeated failure, mm-hmm. has really real implications. For sure. Um, because this optimism turns into narcissism, like you mentioned. Right. And we see narcissism through every dictator and, you know, authoritarian ruler mm-hmm. um, and, you know, colonialist and imperialist, like, all over the world. That's where yeah. we see narcissism. We see people who are 
so certain that they are correct that they are willing to do harm to others. Right. And we've just learned through these studies that when someone who thinks that they're always right is insulted, they are willing to cause harm. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And that's terrifying mm-hmm. to think of, like, all the world leaders, the people that are constantly told they're right because they're mm-hmm. leading a country, and so everyone below them is just like, yeah, no, you're right, you're yeah. right, you're right. Yeah. I mean, of course, there are outliers, but those people... Yeah. But, just... but when, when someone says, like, no, I think you're wrong, no, I think that you are not, in fact, as perfect as you are, as, as someone says you are, mm-hmm. um, that they're more likely to lash out because they have exactly. built this, this belief that no one else has the right to, do, to say that to them. Mm-hmm. So how do we make optimism healthy and right. not harmful? How do we make self-esteem beneficial and not encourage aggression? So yeah. my suggestion is to remove the idea of this, the individual within optimism mm-hmm. um, and within, within self-esteem. To, to say, I am great because someone else is not. It's right. not self-esteem. No, that's it's just... It's hierarchical and it's bullying. Bullying, for yeah. Me, but for the... me to say, if I say all humans have worth and I am a human, so mm-hmm. I have worth, yeah. then I... I am using a we statement mm-hmm. to prove to myself that I have a right to have self-esteem. Right. If I say, I find all manner of people beautiful, and I am part of all manner of people, so I find myself beautiful. That is using a we statement yeah. to give myself self-esteem. Um, and to do the same thing with optimism. To say, I have watched other people learn and grow through hard events. Mm-hmm. I have watched myself learn and grow through hard events, and I can learn and grow through this difficult event. Yes. That is a, a good way to use optimism. I, I feel like that's incredibly important because for me, uh, uh, for a long time, in the past like couple of years, it's gotten so much better. It was just such an unhealthy level of pessimism to the point where it was mm-hmm. like, I was scared to be optimistic because I didn't want to seem narcissistic. I didn't want to sit there and be like, oh no, I am worth anything. I, it was much easier to sit there and say, I'll just be shit then. You know, I, yeah. I just will have no self-esteem. I won't be worth anything. It's easier and less scary for me than to think, oh, you know, I have worth, I have value. I'm a good person. And then I, I would I would be scared that that would lead to narcissism. But there yeah, is definitely yeah. a balance. Because, because we can't be narcissistic if we acknowledge those around us. The, the core exactly. of narcissism is isolation. It, right. Um, so right. If, if we avoid our optimism being seated in isolation, in saying there's a finite amount of happiness and joy that can happen in the world and my right. success is based on your failure. If we can right. avoid those, you know, mindsets, mm-hmm. then optimism is healthy and we can yeah. enjoy those benefits as a community. There's There can be exclusive optimism and inclusive optimism. Yes, exactly. And the latter is just... So much more appealing. When yeah. you, it, I don't know. I definitely like to think of myself as a humanist for sure. Mm-hmm. There's just so many better ways to do it than just exclusion. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's definitely good in like having you know specific groups of people mm-hmm. saying that like we're great together. Yeah. But it does become a problem when you start to exclude and say yes, and that like that's where yeah. white supremacy was, exactly. was born through mm-hmm. this idea of of this group deserves self-esteem and greatness, but this group does not. Yeah. Whereas the reality is, is like every group deserves to have self-esteem and greatness. And there right. is you, to get greatness, you don't have to push someone down um, because not everything in the world has to be a hierarchy. Right. Here's something that might be slightly controversial. Like where are you standing with like the whole, remember when like kill all men was a huge thing? Oh, th- I think, I think there's a very important conversation to be had about societal 
like colloquialisms mm-hmm. that are used non literally. Right. And kill all men was one of those. It was for sure. I, I totally yeah. agree. Like I was you know, I was on board with it. I said it. Mm-hmm. But I think that I did know people that took it to an extreme where it was completely exclusive, where it was like, no, fuck men. I think that when you have experienced harm and trauma, it mm-hmm. is in your right to be angry. For sure. And it 100%. is within your right to want to push back. Mm-hmm. I know far more women than I would like who yeah. have a very valid reason to For say sure. kill all men. Um, I'm a pacifist, so that's not my vibe. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard as a society to judge that moment of of initial anger. And because of the internet society that we're in, we often see the initial anger. Exactly. What was upsetting to me about Kill All Men was the response to it. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the response from a lot of men um, was, well, if you want to kill us, why can't we hurt you? And then people had to respond, you're already hurting us. Right. And that's, that's what we reason, want you to stop. That's the why yeah. that it started. Yeah, exactly. We want you to understand that the slight amount of annoyance you hear, mm-hmm. you feel when you hear kill all men, the slight amount of annoyance or anger that you feel. If I heard someone say, kill all women, I wouldn't feel annoyance. I would feel genuine fear. Yeah. Because I know that is a prerogative of many men mm-hmm. that I have unfortunately encountered. Yeah. Um, and that is what is very scary. For me. sure. No, I yeah. totally agree. And like, again, was on board with it. When I first heard it, I I wasn't angry. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, oh, shit. Like, mm-hmm. I felt bad to be a man. I, I, it was, like, yeah, it was always intended thing. as, like, this wake-up call of, like, it's the same thing as, like, as, as, as ACAP, like, all, mm-hmm. cap, all cops are bastards. Um, some people believe that all cops are bastards in the same way that some people believe that, you right. know, kill all men. I don't believe either of those things. I believe that those terms, however, have a validity within the social context that they were born into, which is when you hear that phrase and a specific experience mm-hmm. or a specific story comes to your mind you know that phrase has validity. Right. Um, and that's why they're scary. But if, if I could come up with an alternative phrase, because I, I, I never use that phrase and I don't care for it either. Yeah, yeah. Um, like as, as a pacifist and as because I saw the reaction that came to it, which was not beneficial at all. Um, if I could replace kill all men with a phrase, I think it would be hold all men accountable. Yeah. Or like hold yourself accountable. Absolutely. Hold yourself accountable. Um, there's a wonderful... Um, comedian on Netflix who, do, who does all these comedy sketches that end with like a very genuine uh, topic that he cares a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, is this uh, Daniel Sloss? His name is Daniel Sloss. He has two on Netflix, but there's one that's yep. not on Netflix where he mm-hmm. talks about how one of his good college friends um, sexually assaulted someone. Oh, shit. And he is no longer friends with that person. Mm-hmm. But he said that when it happened, his thought was, oh, well, I couldn't have done anything to stop that. And then he kept thinking about it. He was like, I could think of at least 10 instances where I saw that person say or do something that was a red flag, but because Uh it didn't impact me, I didn't do or say anything. Maybe I am responsible. And so like, if I couldn't, if I could replace the phrase kill all men with anything, it would be hold yourself accountable as, as a man you are in a place that women aren't in, mm-hmm. which is that if, if I see a man doing a red flag, like doing something that's a red flag, I s- will do what I can to remove the woman from that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, or another man, if, if that's the, what is happening in the situation. 
But it's terrifying um, but to sit I there can't. and go up against... Yeah, yeah as, as a 5'2", 120-some pound woman, right. I can't go to a man who looks like he's going to do harm and mm-hmm. say, excuse me, sir, could you please not do harm? Right, like, right. I'm not safe to this do that. This is where men should use... Yeah. I hate to say it, but, like, mindfulness and just, yeah. like... use it, like, use the... Be aware. Use the social power that you have there. Mm-hmm. Um, because you never know how much impact telling someone, like, hey, man, I think you crossed a line there. Yeah. They might not know. It's very likely that they don't know. Oh, for sure. Um, and it, if you if someone continues validating through silence that their actions are acceptable, mm-hmm. it could elevate into something that they know isn't okay. Right. But that they think they can get away with. Right. Um, so hold yourself accountable. That's my that's my phrase. That's very good. That's, that's what a I, good that's what phrase. <laughs> Honestly. I don't remember how we got here. I we were on... How, no, that was my bad. I, br- I brought it, I brought it it's up. It's okay. I, well, because we were talking about mm-hmm. exclusion in groups with... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, the, the general concept is that minority groups have a right to exclude, majority groups don't. Mm-hmm. If you are a part of a cultural group that has it, it, immense cultural significance that you cannot put yourself into, that you have to be born into, right. um, that that group should be allowed to have closed borders. Yes, yeah, for I sure. Have, I have no, there's no part of me that, that thinks everyone should have to include everyone because we know that to an extent, a lot of inclu- inclusive actions have led to colonialism and appropriation right. and the loss of culture that is, is deeply saddening to me. Yeah. Um, so in that way, of course, groups, it's fine. For sure. Um, there, there's a type of exclusion that we've all experienced at some point in middle school that uh, feels really bad. Yeah. And if you yeah. didn't experience it, you probably excluded someone. God. No, I d- I was the homeschool kid. <laughs> yeah, I was. There was a really large part of my childhood experience where I felt deep loneliness mm-hmm. because I didn't understand why people didn't like me. Um, I didn't understand yeah. why I was left out. I could see that I was being left out. I didn't understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, I often had to be, have people clarify to me that I was being left out, which was even worse. Oh, that yeah, um, that would really suck. Yeah, I unfortunately still feel that as an adult. Yeah. Um, I, that's still a part of my life today. For sure. Um, I'm fortunate to have a group of friends that are very steady and a part mm-hmm. of my life consistently. But but I have throughout college felt, you know, social isolation and exclusion. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Self-esteem didn't get built back up for a while for me, where it was just mm-hmm. like, I definitely felt not good enough to have, like, those friends, you know? Yeah. When that's complete bullshit. Mm-hmm. Completely. I that, agree. That was, you know, honestly, myself just, like, mm-hmm. putting myself down. That's where the pessimism comes in. Yeah, yeah. Where... I, I, th- I think strong pessimism has just as much ability to cause aggression and harm as strong mm-hmm. optimism does. Absolutely. Um, and, and, like, that's that's something that's that's good to explore. Is like, like, yeah. But it's, it's more inwards. In the most 100%. pessimistic parts of my life, I was very self-destructive. Oh, same. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Insane. But, like, now, I will say, I feel like I've gotten to the point where I can have a fairly healthy, like, realistic optimism. Yeah. Where it's it's not that you're not going to go through bad times or that bad times won't affect you, mm-hmm. but that you can understand that maybe it is helping you grow. Yeah, and, like, one of, one of the things that I was reading in my research, I didn't find it, I didn't find a great way to plug into the conversation earlier, uh-huh. was the concept of optimism as a, as a blinding force when you talk about blind right, optimism. Right, right. It might keep you healthy for a while, but if you are so optimistic about outcomes that you don't take things seriously, mm-hmm. if you, you know... You notice that you have a lot of symptoms of an illness, but everything's normally fine for you, so you don't get it checked out. Yeah. Um, you're probably not going to be okay. Yeah. You, you have to take things seriously. You have, you have to exist in a world where things are real mm-hmm. um, as much as possible. Um, you can't be delusional. Yeah, you, you can't. Can... You can't have those positive delusions. Right, so. right, right. Um, so that's where uh, realism has come into play for me in my life mm-hmm. is, is 
trying to look at things as they are as much as possible, which is hard yeah. for me as a person who has experienced mental illness. Right. Um, they're not always as they seem. Clear, like you know? yeah, the it's it's so hard to sit there and like find the reality of a situation. Mm-hmm. Honestly, especially with a mental illness, I know when I'm like going through a depressive episode or like mm-hmm. phase, it's just it's nearly impossible to see a bright side to things or yeah. or how things really are. It could mm-hmm. I could literally have like forty minutes worth of homework to do. And if I'm, like, down, mm-hmm. I'll be like, I can't get it. That's, like, Impossible. it'll take me weeks. I, I'll never be able to do it. My life is over. Fuck. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. no, that's not true. If you look at it realistically, you could probably just sit down and knock it out. Yeah. But it's it's terrible. So, sometimes you have to talk to yourself like you are a four-year-old. Right. And that's valid. It's, you should do that. Yeah, no, yeah. 100%. I, I've, I've more than once been like, you have to eat your Cheerios. Uh-huh. And then just, just try one of them. They taste good. <laughs> Um, that's a lot, like, you're like, that shouldn't be a lot of effort, but have you ever tried to feed a four-year-old who's not hungry Cheerios? That's a lot of freaking effort. That's a lot of effort. They're not going to do that. Yeah, but they you have wanna. to, you have to continuously encourage them to do so. And right. that is kind of what you taking do care yourself. of myself in a bad mm-hmm. mental health space can be like. It, it absolutely is. You've got to sit there and I've got to coerce myself into do, like, yeah, to yeah. doing Come normal on. life things. Put on a clean shirt. You got it, you buddy. Got it. You just sit down, you just type it out. It'll yeah. be fine. Write your silly little word. And a silly little task. It, and like, yeah, yeah, that's where viewing it realistically, having to take a step back and saying, mm-hmm. maybe this is reality. Maybe yeah. and like also also a great way to do that is to get a friend's opinion. Oh yeah. To be like, hey, yeah. am I like going crazy or am I just sad? Yeah. Writing yourself positive affirmations when you are mentally well. Uh-huh. Um, I have like some affirmations that I have written out for myself that I will double check if I can't tell if I'm doing poorly. Right. And if I read them and they seem untrue, I'm probably not doing great. Yeah. And that gives me, like, a good, okay, I can start getting ahead of this. Right, right. Because um, you can't always stop the ball rolling, but you can slow it down a little bit. Absolutely. Um, and so that has, like, helped, helped me stay in, like, here we are in reality. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's so, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly... This whole conversation has just mm-hmm. been really interesting. Yeah. I, I love the special topic. I love I love the dynamic of this. Of just yeah, next like, time you will bring something and I will know yeah. nothing about it. Thank you for indulging this uh, long, lengthy conversation. Indulging? No, yeah. no, no. Thank you for enjoying this. I, this, this one was a bit deep and dark. It was, um, it was dark. But, but I, I think that these it's are important, important to talk about. And Absolutely. I am uh, grateful for you guys listening and sticking with us. Yeah, thank you guys um, so much. And uh, okay, Join us next week. We're going to have a, a guest, an undetermined guest as of yet but we'll get there yeah um but thank you guys again so much for listening we really appreciate all the support have a great Um, week guys yeah have a wonderful week in the meantime i guess um drink some coffee i guess sure